You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. It was a handshake caught on video. And that's all. But it resulted, as these things sometimes do, in demands that the frontrunner in the Conservative Party leadership race disavow support from a man with links to conspiracy groups and anti-government rhetoric. Mostly, though, Pierre Polyev's brief impromptu photo op with Jeremy McKenzie, the man credited with founding the Diagalon movement, resulted in Canadians asking, what the heck is Diagalon? Well, Diagalon is a joke, but it's also a gateway to some of the ugliest stuff on the internet. The question about Diagalon is not, is it a meme or is it dangerous? The question is, how can something that is so clearly a meme also be so deeply troubling to the people who cover the far right and white supremacy? How can this be both things at once? We'll try to figure that one out today. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Peter Smith is an investigative journalist with the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. Hello, Peter. Hello, sir. Maybe we could start today uh, with Jeremy McKenzie. Who is he and why is it such a problem that Pierre Polyev took a photo with him? So Jeremy McKenzie is the host of a small but growing collection of, of live streamers. They originally called themselves the Platt Army, but, but both them and researchers generally refer to them as Diagalon or the Diagalon Network. I think every election cycle, we see kind of a story similar to what we have now. Doug Ford was photographed with members of ID Canada and Faith Goldie a few years ago. Trudeau has been trolled by people during meet and greets. So when Jeremy, who was the creator of this idea of Diagalon, was photographed shaking hands with Polliver, it was not very out of the ordinary, as well as the reaction in the press and the public. The issue or the problem is how the leadership candidate of the official opposition um, and, you know, very conceivably the next prime minister of this country has since refused to uh, put in a significant amount of distance between this individual who's incredibly conspiratorial and the head of a accelerationist community. We'll talk about the accelerationist community in a minute because that's why we're having you on. But I also, because you've mentioned it and because this does seem to happen every election cycle, you know, should Polyev or Trudeau, for that matter, or any of these guys, be expected to know who someone like Jeremy McKenzie is when he walks in and shakes their hand? Like, I don't, I have no idea what this guy looks like until I saw people posting that picture. No, I think that, uh, I think these are opportunities that are taken by opportunists. You know, after the fact, Jeremy said that he'd planned it. You know, he he hopes to get uh, Polliver to say his name, you know, and and would delight at that fact. And has even indicated that there's kind of more to come as far as this trolling goes forward. Um, so, no, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable for Polliver to not have recognized him, for his staff not to have recognized him when, you know, as he said in his response, they've been shaking hands with literally thousands of people. Right. You know, it's just the the condemnation that we wanted to see was a little needed to be stronger. And one last question about Mackenzie specifically. He is the head of what we're going to get into about Diagalon, but just in general, I understand he's also facing charges. Can you can you unpack that for us? Yeah, it gets a little 
muddy when we look at some of the source of these accusations. But what we do know is that he has been charged in three or four provinces, his home province of Nova Scotia for, I think it is 13 gun-related charges, as well as charges related to a protest that took place outside of that province's chief medical officer's house relating to like alleged phone calls and harassment. I believe there were also assault charges in Quebec that were confirmed by another reporter. And then in most recently in Saskatchewan, there has been charges of pointing a gun at an individual, assault, uh, mischief, and one other one that escapes me at the moment. Okay, so now you're going to have to explain this whole thing to me. What is Diagalon? Well, that's kind of, you know, the $6 million question. Um, It's important to understand what it is and what it isn't. The joke is that it's a a real plot to kind of make this super state that goes diagonally across North America, um, consisting of what they would call the sane regions. Hmm. Um, And, you know, and at this heart, this is a meme, like it is a joke. What it has become, however, is both an actual and symbolic banner under which participants of this movement can rally and self-identify. You know, it's a community that has a cross-section of different individuals. They're content creators, trolls, you know, survivalists. um, And in some cases, it's more and more apparent extremists. How and where did this begin? You mentioned it started as a joke um, and it might, part of it might still be a joke, but like, where did it come from? Yeah, to call McKenzie a leader, I think is actually a bit of strong term in some ways. He's he's an influencer and he brought this idea to his fandom, you know, during a live stream. It was workshopped kind of in real time with participation from members of the audience in his chat. You know, he alluded to the fact that maybe they talked about it before in other places. But yeah, it was this idea of just this region that they viewed as sharing, you know, their worldview, their ideology. And if I asked Mackenzie to explain it to me, what would he say? He'd tell you similar to some of the things that I just said, that it's that it's a meme and it's a joke. Um, he he often refers to himself as a pressure release valve for incredibly frustrated people, um, which he's not, he's not entirely wrong in that regard. Uh, the rhetoric espoused often talks about the inevitability of violent outcomes, you know, that they don't desire that, but it will also result in clearing out the people that they view as destroying the fabric of Canada um, in our democracy. How can you tell what part of that is a joke and what's not? Well, that is the rub, right? And that that's the cover that gets provided. Unlike more explicit organizations like, you know, that have firm membership and, you know, vetting to get in like the base, like Adam often in the past, this is implicit accelerationism. It doesn't encourage the end. They don't want to be on the front lines, but they see it as inevitable, and ultimately for where they believe the country needs to head desirable. Because as they will often say, there is no political solution. We've touched on it a few times now, but I want to make sure that we sort of have it clear for everyone who's listening. What is accelerationism and how does it manifest in public life today? So accelerationism, um, militant accelerationism specifically, is a set of tactics and strategies designed to put pressure on and exacerbate latent social divisions, often through violence but really anything that will hasten the collapse of society, which is again viewed through this particular lens as inevitable, um, but also desirable. Why desirable? They would view society as moving so far to a point that things like elections, um, engaging 
with the public, you know, the media have all been subverted and corrupted by who depends on which kind of branch of that worldview you're subscribing to. But it's just believed that society has gone so far beyond the point of saving that the only way is to kind of tear it down and start again. What has the Diagonal Network actually done so far? We mentioned charges against McKenzie personally, but, you know, how much of this exists totally in the realm of memes and online discussion? And, and what, if anything, uh, about them is actually real? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, you know, McKenzie's an important figure because of his status within this community, you know, his his job or his work developing kind of the mythos that has has built around it. But the community itself is like what is ultimately to be concerned about. Uh, there are a number of accusations, none of which have been borne out in court. It's important to point out. Members of the community that were already known to us uh, were arrested in Coates, Alberta. And what is alleged by the RCMP is a plot to target police if they were to try to interfere with the border blockades that were happening at the time. As you said, Mackenzie himself is facing you know, a number of charges in three or four provinces. And also, it's interesting because Canada has very recently become aware of this group, you know, through the reporting of mainstream media. But people who have been tracking it for much longer have had their addresses read out during streams. Mm. You know, activists that speak out against them have had, you know, the diagonal symbol uh, spray painted outside of their apartments. There is a real life as well as online harassment that takes place. And, you know, they are very clear sometimes about which community this is coming from. The news cycle these days can be relentless. Let us help you with that. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings, host of The Big Story, Canada's most interesting daily news podcast. Every day, we stop that news cycle in its tracks and examine one big story in depth, something that matters to Canadians. You can find The Big Story every morning for free at Frequency Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Find your frequency. What do we know and what do we not know about how seriously Canadian authorities, or I guess uh, authorities down to the United States too, uh, are taking this? That's hard to say. A lot of the times, I don't believe that law enforcement or security and intelligence apparatuses are best equipped to deal what are ultimately social or societal problems. You know, all of the charges lately, as well as inset reports that have been obtained by journalists, do indicate that they are being monitored, um, that they are, you know, considered people of interest. It does seem like there has been a bit of a shift in how seriously this is being taken. But as I said before, none of these charges have been proven yet. So it's hard to say what type of impact that will have. And, you know, guilty or innocent, the stories of these persecutions as being, you know, targeting by the state um, has already been set within their spaces. So leaving aside the charges for a moment, because none of them have been proven, leaving aside the real life stuff, what is dangerous or troubling about the meme and joke side of it? Because at a glance, and to any ordinary Canadian who encounters it, that's that's what they'll be told it is, right? 
Yeah, and as as we said, they wouldn't be wrong. Like that that is a real subsection of this community is people right. who are just interested in the content. You know, there is, I think, a real justification for people feeling discontent and disconnected, unrepresented by the government, by the media. And so, you know, that humor aspect, you know, is is a point where you can bring people in, you know, with the irony of it all and uh, progressively make you know, the actual ideas more acceptable. How does that process work? Um, more generally, it, it, I mean, it happens in a lot of ways. You know, if you think of kind of conspiracy culture or, you know, that whole ecosystem as, as a bubble or as a, as a circle, you know, you can, you can enter at different points. You know, perhaps you believe that the World Economic Forum is slowly pushing us towards drinking cockroach milk or replacing all meat with insect protein. You know, you can take that and continue to move deeper into the circle, you know, taking on more radical, more extreme ideas. Or, you know, you could stop uh, at another point. Like, the, the way that people come in and where they end is different for every individual. Just like when people leave these communities, you know, that path out is never set in the same way. Regarding those theories, and you just mentioned the the replacing meat with bugs, which is, I gather, something that's pretty prevalent in, in a few of these communities. How is it possible to tell whether or not these people actually believe that? I mean, on the one hand, they can't actually believe that extreme version of it. But on the other hand, they're incredibly critical and skeptical, to put it politely, of government. Yeah, absolutely. Like one, I would say I definitely believe that some of them subscribe to those beliefs. They they will point to examples in media, examples in in policy that, you know, oftentimes appear to back this up. You know, there was a cricket farm, I believe, that opened in Ontario recently that became the target of a series of conspiracy theories um, (laughs) because they were producing crickets for animal and human consumption. You know, lots of stores now do sell cricket flour, whereas these are just kind of interesting market alternatives to some people. They are proof of real conspiracy to others. Uh, It's the same thing with the charges. Like these prosecutions by the state, you know, justified or not, you know, will cement these persecution complexes within the community that are seen as evidence of the tyranny that they're, they're hoping to oppose. And, you know, it is, it is true that governments use movements like these to push policies through and demonize uh, people who have real criticism. Mm. You know, it's just, that's just not what we see from this community, though, is like a good faith engagement with, with, with different policy. How fast is this community growing? And I mean, I know because I've asked this question to, to other folks, how much of that has to do with the pandemic accelerating? I don't want to say exclusively, but like, The pandemic has been a massive factor. There's been kind of a few moments um, in my research that I've noticed real explosions of popularity. One was when Jeremy went and was like a almost one-man protest outside of Dalhousie University when Omar Khadr was speaking. Um, You know, the second one for that was the pandemic. Like it really, you know, lots of people were inside it's an engaged community that not only wants to get people together in online spaces, but encourages them to meet up in real life. And yeah, the, the pandemic really exacerbated people's feelings of discontent, 
people's need for an outlet, you know, that pressure release valve that, that Mackenzie talks about. Um, and, you know, this, if you view the world through a certain lens, you know, this is a place where you can feel welcome and, you know, find that solidarity, find that community, and also find an enemy. What should Canadians who are learning about Diagonal for the first time this week know about the big picture that surrounds this stuff? And what should they understand about it? Like, I've covered Diagonal pretty extensively. Like, obviously, it's something that I feel is a concern, but it is just one subsection of a very large movement that we have seen grow over the past two or three years, you know, over the course of the pandemic that we saw in 2019, trying to stage similar actions like the convoy that we saw this year. Um, you know, they are, they are finding common cause with one another and they're having an incredibly successful street movement, unlike we've seen in the past few decades. You know, that mobilization, that kind of boots on the ground and, you know, inspiring people to, again, not engage in a way that could change the system meaningfully in a way that would be beneficial to them or within the bounds of how our democracy works. Um, but this very populist outsider, you know, sometimes insurrectionary method of, of dealing with politics. What do they actually want? I mean, if you ask them, I'm sure as a joke, they would say, we want our own independent diagonal country stretching down the middle of North America. But, but what does Mackenzie actually want? And what would they be satisfied with? What's their goal? Um, that's a difficult question. You know, I think the most serious answer you would get would be, you know, a republic representative democracy sim similar to what they have in the U.S. Ultimately, though, it, it's a social movement that views progressive politics LGBTQ rights as subversive, as socially subversive, and as kind of plots against, uh, you know, our democracy um, or our society, you know, the Western way of life. You know, the community will often say that it is, it is not racist, um, but it is pro-white uh, or pro-white society. They don't really have firm political goals. And what we've seen, certainly this year, with the convoy and kind of the subsequent action since then is I think them trying to figure out what it is exactly they would like hmm. as they gain more support. What will you be watching for with regards to them over the next uh, several months? So there has been kind of a like well-reported on targeting of journalists, specifically female and racialized journalists yes. in Canada. Um, I don't want to lay that at the feet of Diagonal exclusively, but, you know, the response to this from their figures has been to remind its viewers that the media is cancer, um, that whatever hatred they're receiving, they deserve. So, you know, people within the community who are very interested or very vocal about pushing that forward and that narrative is what really interests me. Because I think that is the one that has the most potential for an individual to eventually take some type of action. That's a troubling way to end this conversation. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, I'm not fun at parties. <laughs> we have a history of guests like that, so we appreciate your time. You as well, sir. This has been a genuine pleasure. Peter Smith of the Canadian Anti-Hate Network. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. 
You can take our listener survey there if you would like. We really appreciate all those of you who've done so so far. It's not too late for the rest of you. Click that big survey button at the top of the page. It'll only take 10 minutes. You can also talk to us on Twitter at the Big Story FPN. You can email us hello at the Big Story Podcast.ca. And you can call and leave a voicemail and say whatever you like. Phone number is 416 935 5935. You can find this podcast wherever you like to get them. And if you're in an app that lets you rate and review, you can make sure you do that too. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. Thanks for listening. We'll talk tomorrow. <laughs>